2: Welcome to the Thursday edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us. I'm Paul Tatino. He is Super Bowl champion putter Jeff Fegels, and we'll be with you for about the next hour, or maybe a little less than that, to talk about New York Giants football. But more importantly, we want to remind you, you can find an archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. Now, today, we are not taking phone calls. We've told you all week we are doing taped programs. Uh, We are unable to hook up the phone lines for those phone calls, but we are continuing our team previews of the Giants' opponents as we go around to the summer camps and find out what the Giants are likely to face during the 2021 season. So, Jeff, today we'll be talking about the New Orleans Saints, a team that will play the Giants on October 3rd, Uh, As the Giants uh, renew what has been, I guess, a one-sided affair over the years. I remember that game when Breeze and and Eli Manning threw for a combined 13 touchdown passes in the Superdome. Breeze had seven. Eli had six. Uh, That's not been a good place for the Giants to play over the course of time.
3: Well, it's tough for any team to go there and play um, in New Orleans, no matter what. I mean, that's a tough place to go, tough Tough crowd, loud, everything. Um, yeah, so there's been some crazy games for the Giants. I was part of one of them. Um, the old Joe Horn, uh, remember that? The phone in the in the uh, what was the fuel goal?
2: Yeah, underneath uh, the uprights. Uh, uprights. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so he had it hidden there in the padding.
3: Oh, my goodness. So, you know, one thing, I I loved to play in New Orleans when I went there because it was in the Dome, as you know. But, you know, for most people, it is a tough place to play. But, you know, you look at the Saints team coming off of what they did last year and now losing a Hall of Famer and Drew Brees, and they're going to have to transition to Jem, Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. I mean, it's going to be interesting. But, you know, Peyton – He's a guy that can coach. He can coach like the best of them, and I think that he'll put that team together. They have, you know, some things missing on defense too, but collectively there will be a team that will compete. Um, they always do, and uh, I think that Sean Payton finds a way to win, and he put, you know, is very good at drawing up offenses with what he has, and that's what he's going to have to do this year, Paul. So the Giants got a good chance uh, to come off with a victory against this team because they're just not as good as they were last year.
2: Well, they certainly do have some transitioning going on in New Orleans. Now, speaking of that ball club, well, Jeff and I earlier had an opportunity to talk to Christian Garrick. He is the Saints pre- and post-game host for WWL Radio, and Jeff began by asking him about that key position on offense.
1: I think the biggest concern will be the loss of quarterback Drew Brees. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you've seen this offseason and kind of what the roster is shaping up. And Really, the biggest concern that I said about Drew Reed and what the quarterback position is going to look like going forward. Well, this off-season we
0: haven't really seen a whole lot just because we haven't had a lot of access. Uh, they've done, uh, the Saints have done a lot more classroom, um, weightlifting, not so much your traditional mini camp um, because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, they, they're taking a, a different approach this year, but Uh, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill are, are at the, you know, the center of everybody's focus because Drew Brees is retired and, you know, everybody's wondering how that competition is going to shake out. Uh, Jameis Winston has rededicated himself to the game. I, I, I love where he's at in terms of the work ethic and stuff he's putting in off the field. And you know, you have to a degree in Taysom Hill. He was, uh, three and one last year as a starter. Uh, when Drew Brees was injured. So it's going to come down to that, that battle. And I think that'll be the, the focus of, of training camp once it gets underway. And, um, I'm excited to see how it plays out. One way or the other, though, you're still going to see Taysom Hill on the field in some form or fashion, regardless of who wins the job. Uh, he's just, he's a unique weapon that, um, Sean Payton can scheme up, um, and I, regardless of who the quarterback is, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different offense. And what I mean by that is, Sean is really good at um, designing plays and an offense around a quarterback that has a different skill set. Uh, look what he did in Dallas when he was the offensive coordinator under Bill ourselves with Quincy Carter. I mean, he got Quincy Carter throwing for three thousand yards. Uh, and, and made the playoffs. So he's really adept at playing to a, a quarterback's strength. I mean, when Drew Brees arrives, he designed the offense around him and what he, what he does well and what he, and what, you know, it's hard to believe that Drew has some limitations, but he did. Uh, but the way Sean Payton came up with the scheme, um, it, it didn't, it, you know, it played to his strengths and, and, and minimized his, his shortcomings. So, Um, I think you can expect the same thing whether it's Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. He's going to have an offense that's tailored to those one of those two players, and and go from there. I mean, you have your base offense. Jeff, you know that well. Paul, you know that well that you're going to have your base offense, but you're going to have some things in there that are designed to highlight a player's attributes uh, at quarterback, and whether it's Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, that they do well, and um, that's why if it were any other coach or um, any other player, I'd have some trepidation, but you know, Sean knows how to, how to scheme those, those players up and put them in positions to have success. And I think that either one of those two guys are going to have success because Sean is, uh, is going to, is going to be able to scheme that up and and design plays around them and, and their strengths and, and, and their weaknesses are going to be minimized to a degree. And, um, It'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch.
2: If I can follow up for just a second, is it as simple as knowing that Hill is more of a guy who's going to want to run with the ball some and Winston's more of a pocket guy who's going to want to throw the ball long downfield? Is it really that simple in terms of the biggest difference between the two?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, Taysom's mobile. He, he likes being physical. He likes, you know, put the ball in his hand. And, and uh, certainly, you know, his legs are an attribute that he... That he can thrive off of, but he, you know, at the end of the day though, it, nothing's changed with this game, and I don't think it ever will, it is, it is, as the mobile quarterback has become the invoke thing, and I say mobile, I, I mean, I'm talking about Pat Mahomes kind of guy that can move a little bit, Um, you got other quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, but you gotta make plays for the pocket. You gotta be able, to, like, this game isn't gonna change that much where, you know, you're not going to have to make plays from from the pocket as a passer. It's always going to be that way. Um, at, you know, sure you can extend plays and you can move around a little bit. And that helps, but it's all about what you can do from the pocket. I mean, we just saw a, a guy in Tom Brady, who's a statue in the pocket, win a Super Bowl because that's what the, that's what the quarterback position ultimately boils down to. And, uh, um, Jameis Winston's a guy with a big arm and he can move too, but, um, he's going to want to stay in a pocket and make throws. And the same applies to Jason Hill. As, as mobile as he is, he's going to have to be able to throw with anticipation, something that he didn't do well last year, filling in for Drew Brees. He didn't throw well with anticipation. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that, that that is an apt comparison, uh, in terms of, you know, a guy that, and Jason Hill that wants to get out of the pocket or wants to, you know, utilize his legs, and, and Jameis Winston, who's got the big arm, that wants to stretch the field.
1: Obviously, this team is, uh, I mentioned earlier about their transition. They lost eight starters and actually even 14 players who were in the playoffs last year that were playing in those games. So a big transition um, on offense. You talk about, you know, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, those are your two running backs. When you talk about passing, I know that they get their running backs, especially Kamara, involved in, the, the passing game, but, you know, the receivers, you lost Emmanuel Sanders and, and Jared Cook. Tell me a little bit about how you feel they're going to be able to replace kind of those guys and how the production in the passing game is going to come with these players. Well, as my
0: my co-host, uh, Bobby Aber pointed out, um, at tight end, you know, it's um, it's experience. you got Adam yeah. Troutman, Jared Griffin, um, Ethan Wolf and all three of those players are, are good players, but they're, um, a little inexperienced in terms of actual game time. And Garrett Griffin has gotten a couple, of, a couple of games on the actual roster and playing time. Adam Troutman is the rookie out of Dayton, third round pick. Uh, Ethan Wolf is the, is the veteran, the journeyman that has been around for a little while, but hasn't necessarily been a standout. Uh, so they're, they're a little thin there in terms of experience. And then at, at, at wide receiver, you yeah, got Mike Thomas, obviously, uh, but outside of that, who's going to be the number two behind him? Is it going to be Craig Quan Smith? Is it going to be uh, Ka- uh, Callaway? Uh, I mean, it's, it's unknown in terms of who's going to be the, the complement to Mike Thomas at, at wide receiver. And like, like as you pointed out, there's a number of ways that Sean Payton and the Saints have uh, offensively operated even without a true number two wide receiver, they they get a number of guys involved in a passing game, whether it's tight end, wide receiver, running back, Ty Montgomery, Alvin Kamara. I mean, there's a number of ways they can do it, but um to sit up here and say that this is a wide receiver core that rivals the likes of Marcus Colston, Lance Moore, and Robert Meacham is a stretch. I mean, those three guys um, <laughs> have proven themselves and, and they were legitimate weapons, so uh, right now, uh, on the outside, at wide receiver, Mike Thomas is established, everybody else is still trying to find their footing, so to speak.
1: i got to mention the offensive line a little bit, because I think of all the offense, when you look at how things are put together, that offensive line is probably uh, your strongest, the strongest, uh, you know, part of that offense, with all the five starters returning, so that'll do wonders for Jameis Winston and Jason Hill, and some of those other guys, and um, you know, it's always nice to have your starters return on your offensive line. That's for sure. Yeah, look,
0: that's, that's clearly the strength of this team, um, is their offensive line play, in particular tackles with Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead. You got Andrews Pete inside. You got, uh, Cesar Ruiz that's probably going to play center this year and, and, uh, Eric McCoy, the rear McCoy at, at, at guard. Um, look, that's why they have a chance this year. That's why when, you know, you say, well, gosh, how are they going to have success without Drew Brees? It's because of their offensive line. They've, they've done a good job of keeping that intact. And, um, and you know this, you guys both know this, that you know, if you're strong up front in the trenches, then you got a chance. And I think that that's why the Saints are going to have a chance this year. The over and under win totals at 9.5. And, and, and that's largely, I think, because of the, the offensive line. And uh, it's it's one of the best offensive lines in football. And um, you know, whoever's quarterback, it's going to help them. But I think you're going to see more of a running uh, attack. You're going to see, you know, I think you're going to see more runs than, than we traditionally saw uh, under Drew Brees. You're going to see a, a rushing attack um, being implemented more so than, we have in the past with that offensive line and the new transition to a quarterback, whether it's Jason Hill or James Winston.
2: If they do that, do you see carries being split a particular way between Kamara and Murray? And I don't know if if Montgomery or Washington even figure into this, or do you think they they might just kind of make Kamara the the, uh, bell cow?
0: No, they have to split the carries. I mean, uh, Alvin Kamara's got great balance, got great... uh, He's got great. He's got better power than people give him credit for. He's stronger than, than maybe you think. Um, but you got to split those because Alvin Kamara's going to be heavily involved in a passing game as well. So you're going to split those characters between him and Latavius Murray. And um, heck, who knows? You know, uh, they might they might bring in a third running back. They've done that before, where they split you know three running backs. So in 2009, they had Pierre Thomas. Reggie Bush and Mike Bell, all three of those guys played significant roles in the running game. Um, so I, I, think you could see something similar to that, uh, here in the future, but I don't think you, you put it on Alvin Kamara, uh, just because how involved he's going to be in a, in a, in a, passing game, but also man, it's a long season. And then you, you, you tack on 17 games and, uh, I don't think Alvin Kamara's meant to carry the football 25 times in a game. I just think that's a stretch.
1: You know, Christian, uh, with the New Orleans Saints, you always, I think a lot of people always focus on the offense because of, uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Kamara. And the defense kind of, gets kind of shoved under the rug a little bit. But when you look at the transition the defense is going to have to make this year, they've lost a lot of players too on that side of the football. Especially Trey Hendrickson, who went to the Bengals in free agency. That's 13 and a half sacks out of that defensive, uh, the edge rusher. And you got Cam Jordan, who's getting a little bit, you know, long in the tooth, but still can produce. Um, what do you see uh defensively? Are there gonna be major changes there? Um, talk a little bit about what you think the strength and the weaknesses are on that side of the football coming up this season. Well, you got a hole like, at cornerback with
0: Janoris Jenkins uh, gone in Tennessee. He's a cat casualty. Malcolm Brown's in Jacksonville uh, along the interior defensive line. Um, Sheldon Rankins is gone. You mentioned Trey Hendrickson. Um it's a defense that's that's in flux, so to speak. Uh, you know, you, you got guys that are going to have to come in. Paulson and Debo, they drafted him in the third round out of Stanford at, at cornerback. Um, so it's a defense that I think, um, has some holes. Let's be honest. Um, Demario Davis, the linebacker has, has been a, uh, a big, a big addition to the Saints and a big leader. And, um, where are the sacks gonna come from you pointed it out I mean they got Marcus Davenport who's in his fourth year who when he's on the field is, is a is uh is a nightmare but yeah. but but he hasn't been on the field very often he's been injured so um you got Carl Granderson the undrafted guy uh you added uh yo I can't remember his first name but the fact that I can pronounce his last name is a miracle um, <laughs> Sounds like me. Yeah, so they, they brought him in from from the Chiefs, and uh, they hope to get some production out of him in terms of a pass rusher. Um, but it's a defense that I think you got to find an answer. Who's going to be the cornerback opposite of Marshawn Lattimore? Oh, by the way, could potentially be facing a suspension because of the offseason season that he had and and, and the gun charge that he caught uh, up there in Cleveland, and and um, and. You don't know whether he's going to be out for a game, two, four, what have you. Uh, so it's a defense that, you know, has some question marks and, uh, Dennis Allen's a great defensive coordinator, which by the way, I think should get an opportunity to be a head coach again here soon. Um, I think that that fit with the Raiders was just not the right fit at all. Uh, that's why he failed the first time. Um, but, you know, It's one of those deals where Dennis Allen is, is, is pretty adept as well of, of coming up with his own schemes to having players, uh, in the right position that may not be as talented as you would like. But I think the loss of Jack Rabbit, uh, Janoris Jenkins is, is going to be one that they, uh, they might regret, but they can't, they had nothing, they had no choice. They had to get on the salary cap. He was a cap casualty, but, but that guy can play. North Jenkins can flat out play, and uh, when he was added to this defense a couple of years ago, you saw them make the transition pretty quickly into being. I mean, they, they, last year, last year they were one of the best defenses in the NFL. I mean, they were the top defense in, in the league for a, a good six week stretch. I mean, they were that good. I don't think they're going to be uh, as good this year, uh, but I still expect them to be uh, pretty solid.
2: I want to ask you about the linebacker unit because we remember from some years ago the Jets had Demario Davis. The Saints have had him for a number of years now. He's a tackling machine, puts up regularly over a hundred every single year. I guess he's the grandpappy of the defense, and he's got to be the glue. And then Pete Werner's an interesting guy, second round draft pick who coming out uh, you know this year was was ranked pretty highly. I think a lot of people had their eyes on him.
0: Yeah, DeMario uh, Davis. I don't understand how the heck he ever got out of the Jets organization, but then again, it's the Jets, so I understand it. Um, and, and then the Browns. He was with Cleveland for a while, but he's been, um, as you put it, he's been the glue of the Saints defense. He's been outstanding, um, a great leader, a great football player. Um, Pete Warner. You, you add him to the mix out of Ohio State. Um, you know, the linebacking core is different than what we're used to seeing, uh, in the NFL in general. You're in a two linebacker look more often than not these days in the, in the NFL. And when they lost Quan Alexander last year due to Achilles injury, uh, I thought the defense took a step back. They really had it going. Look at Tampa Bay. Look at the, why do they, why they, what was the big reasons why they, they won a Super Bowl? Uh, their linebacking group. Was outstanding. Uh, Devin White, um, you know, you got, um what's the cat's name? Is, um Levante David. You know, those two guys were outstanding for a 10-minute. So you're really in a, in a nickel defense about 65% of the time anyway. So that, that, that traditional 4-3 linebackers is kind of a thing of the past. Pete Warner can run, uh, he can cover, and I think that's a big part of why they drafted him in a second round because so often you're asking your linebackers to cover a tight end, cover a running back out of the backfield. And I'm sure you guys have noticed that man,
1: these linebackers look more like safeties these days than linebackers. You know, when I look at this defense, as you had mentioned,
3: Christian, you know, a lot of, a
1: lot of things to fill, a lot of holes to fill from the people that have lost in free agency and, and salary dumps and things like that. But, you know, collectively, I think that this defense has has some playmakers and keep can keep the Saints in some games, and and arguably is going to be a, a tough division again with Tampa. Um, what do you see as as a whole for this team going this year? You, you know, do you see them making the playoffs this year? I'm going to try. I'm going to put you on the spot, thinking that they can uh, compete with the with um with, excuse me, Tampa Bay. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that name, but um, where do you see the Saints finishing up in this division this year? I think they're a wild card team this year. Um,
0: Tampa's clearly the the the, uh, the. I think as the defending champions, um, they're the front runner to win in the South, even though the Saints have done the last four years. Um, I, I think that they're second in in, in division, and uh, I think they're a wild card type of team. Um, but man, I mean, you know, 17 games, um, you're still breaking in a new quarterback, whether it's Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, uh, you got a lot of transition on this team. So, um, I think 10 wins is a good benchmark for them. If they get 10 wins, then I think that, you know, that's about the expectation. Um, but man, I know this. The that Nation and the Saints fans are, are going to forever remember the, the no one, no call and, and the opportunity the Saints had in 2011 and 2018 when they, they felt like that, you know, that was their years to go make another run and it didn't happen. So, uh, now you're, uh, you're without your Hall of Fame quarterback and Drew Brees and, uh, let's see how it all plays out because it's the NFL and, this time of year, everybody has hope. Every franchise has hope. Uh, every fan base thinks that this is their year. Um, but you know, you got to play it out on the field, and this will be, I think, the most interesting training camp um, under Sean Payton because there's so many storylines, there's so many ifs and buts and what ifs. So um, let's see it all play out in training camp. I, you know, I, I think. When you look at it here in June, it should be a playoff team, but, man, the NFL is a a strange business and weird in a lot of ways, so you you just never know.
2: You know, I can't believe we got Jeff Vigels on the line here, and he doesn't ask about special teams. I mean, that's got to be a first on this program, but but i got to bring up Deontay Harris, who's certainly a heck of a return guy, and Will Lutz is a very, very good uh, field goal kicker. Uh, how do you see their special team shaking out? Is that a strength, Christian? Is that one of the reasons why you think they can overcome the questions on defense?
0: Certainly, they've you know, uh, they got a return man that can change a game, uh, and they got a field goal kicker that can, can win you a game. Uh, they lost some, some coverage ability uh, this offseason with um, Justin Hardy now vacating and, and being gone. To another team, he was a big-time uh, coverage guy on special teams. Um, but they, they've got other guys that they feel like they can plug in there that can cover as well. And I think that the special teams group as, as a whole is still solid, very solid. Um, they're, Blake, they're breaking in a new punter, Blake Gilliquin, from Penn State, who last year <coughs> – they stashed on the, on the, uh, on the practice squad behind Thomas Morstead, who was uh, you know, a big part of this team for over, uh, you know, a decade. Um, and I think, I think it's still a pun in this league, but Blake Killiquin last year was, if you ask me, I think he won a job last year mm-hmm. over Thomas Morstead. Um, so it's another big leg they got back there and, you know, people, unless you have a great punter, unless you've experienced a great punter uh, like Thomas Morstead was, man, that's a weapon. It's a weapon uh, that is underrated because you can flip the field. You can pin teams in deep in their own territory, especially with the different styles that they're using these days with the Aussie style punting. Um, so, You know, I'm interested to see if if Blake Gilliquin can be the weapon that Thomas Morstead was when he was in the Saints uniform. Uh, I mean, Thomas Morstead used to launch some absolute rockets off the right leg of number six and it changed the field position uh, often for the Saints. And, um, it's a weapon that I I think goes underappreciated in the NFL. So it'll be, it'll be big to see how Blake Gilliquin does, uh, as, as a punter for the Saints.
2: Final question music from to me. My ears. Oh, go ahead. The music to my ears. Oh, I, I of Christian. course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> symphony <laughs> to you, Feagles.
1: Uh, honestly, <laughs> anytime, anytime anybody comes on this time and tells us that that punting position is underappreciated, then you're you're at the top of my list of interviews. That's for sure, Christian. You you can come on this show anytime you want. <laughs> well, but, but, I mean, if you think about it, man, it, 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 like. The fans
0: don't realize it, right? They, it's just hard for them to understand just what a weapon that can be, and and how you can change field position and uh, get get out of jams. And I mean, I just I think it's you know you got punters and then you got you got field position changers, and man, that's just such a difference in a lot of ways that that some fans don't understand and don't realize how big of a weapon it can be. Because there are other punters in the league that that can't do that, and you see the defense pay for it every once in a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know the uh, the punching is part of the defense, is a defensive position. And when you talk about this defense like you just did, you know the best thing you can have is a, is a good punter when your defense is a little suspect. So um, they can put them in good in good positions. Absolutely.
2: Final question, Christian. This is a Saints team that's won 49 games during the regular season over the last four years and, of course, has suffered heartbreak in the postseason, obviously not by their own volition but by circumstances out of their control. How is it that Sean Payton has been able to keep the emotional and mental resiliency to keep this team in contention year after year, and how long can he keep doing it until they've got to get the brass ring or it just falls apart?
0: Well, he's a great leader. First off, Um, he's an ever-evolving coach. He's different than he was in 2006 when he took the job. He's evolved with the players and with the changing of the times of the league, and um, he's just he's a he's an immense leader. Um, He knows he, he knows his team. He knows what kind of gets his team going. And it's different year in and year out. I mean, you know, that team's going to be different than it was last year, but he'll, he'll be able to find the pulse of the team and, 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 and lead them accordingly. Uh, how long can he do it? Uh, I don't know. Um, there's no quitting them so far that I've seen. There's no, um, looking past the sport that I've seen from, uh, from Sean Payton, and I think it's going to depend on how much success he has outside of the Drew Brees era. I mean, I think there's a part of him that's motivated to say, hey, look, you know, I, I loved my time with Drew Brees, and certainly Drew Brees made him a, a better coach and vice versa. You know, uh, I'm sure Drew would acknowledge that, you know, Sean Payton made him better, but there's some motivation of, Hey, I can do. I can. I can be successful uh, with another quarterback, and I think that drives him quite a bit to prove that that he can have success with a, a quarterback not named Drew Brees. And you know, as far as longevity, look, I think he's top five coach in the NFL: Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, Sean Payton. I mean those are the guys I think that that are the best at their 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 trade. And if you know if he doesn't win another another uh Lombardi then you know it will be a disappointment. That's why that no one no call was a legacy changer for Sean Payton. What I mean by that is if if he gets to uh, another Super Bowl and perhaps wins it over the Patriots because I think the Saints certainly give them, the Patriots, a better game than the Rams do. I mean, the Rams didn't score a touchdown. Right, so, I, you know, if he wins another Super Bowl, then that puts him in the class of an instant uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. Sure. He's not he's not an instant first ballot Hall of Famer now. He doesn't have two Super Bowls. And um, I think he's driven, he's motivated to win uh, with another quarterbacks. But as far as long, as long as... You know, as far as how long he coaches, I don't know. Uh, at least another five years, I would anticipate.
2: We thank Christian Garrick for his time, the Saints pre- and post-game host on WWL Radio in New Orleans. Look, Jeff, he still has the Saints being a wild-card team with double-digit victories, despite the questions that he alluded to on defense He seems to think that offensively they've got enough going with Sean Payton's brilliance and, obviously, a high level of special teams to keep them a very competitive team in that NFC South, which, as we all know, right now is Tampa Bay Buccaneers
3: country. Oh, there's no question. I think everybody in the world knows that who's going to win that division. I think that a wild card, I I, I think it, you know, because of Sean Payton – I feel I have a lot of confidence in him, and he mentioned about a Hall of Fame coach. I and mean, he's borderline. The guy is so good. He's just so good at, at, you know, when you don't have much to work with. Now, remember, he's had a quarterback for a long time, but he didn't have one in Dallas like, like Christian mentioned, um, and look what he did there. So I think this is a team to, you know, you don't have to. It's a team that the Giants are getting at the right time. So when we do our preview, we want to talk a little bit about you know the matchups and things like that. But this is a good opportunity for the Giants to play in the Saints this year because they don't have Drew Brees. But offensively, I think that you know whenever you have Alvin Kamara, all right, and you have an offensive line like he'd mentioned. Um, you give yourself a chance and you know michael thomas is coming off of an injury he didn't you know he was out most of the season last year so that'll be a big plus for them so i think as an offense they can be pretty prolific the defense is where i feel like the Giants will have a chance to match up with them and, and do some damage and you know in the past as you know this paul you had to keep up with the scoring with the with the new orleans Saints so i think this year we'll see what happens with them from that standpoint but offensively for the Giants I think this is a good matchup for them defensively going against the Saints and we'll see what happens
2: well that will be the Giants fourth game of the season October 3rd at New Orleans again to take on Sean Payton and company Limited Giants season tickets are now on sale for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. And don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available. Or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So once again, that was our team preview for today, the New Orleans Saints. Time to get to some tweets, Jeff. And there are a bunch of them here. And Good. They're kind of all over the map. It's a real eclectic group of, of <laughs> tweets today. Well. Uh, Craig James at I Bleed Blue 56 says, the only people who care about ratings in all pro selections are people without Super Bowl rings. Now, look, I understand. (laughs) I I think you and I both agree that a lot of these all-star teams are just opinions that aren't worth a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless... There are players who have incentives written mm-hmm. into their contracts by making all pro teams or for that matter being voted to the Pro Bowl. And then of course there's always that family trip, a nice vacation whether it's Florida or
3: sure. or, or Hawaii to well, guys hope. who do get to go to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> you hope. And you you by the way have been there. Yeah. Well, let me I, I I'll go back to, you know, the All-Star teams. They they are a popularity contest. They really are. And, and you know, we follow this and you know, offensive linemen, once they – you know, like Chris Snee is a guy that, you know, once he got in, he got in all the time, you know. And that's just what happens at that position until somebody can uh, unseat that person. But, um, you know, as a player, it's one of your goals, Paul. You know, you want to go to the Super Bowl. You want to go to the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl, to me, means a lot. It's often – you're being voted on by your by your peers. And, um, well,
2: not entirely, Jeff. No, not, remember, but i But you know what I mean. Years, the fans did have a percentage. Well, of they have a small percentage. The
3: they have a very but small. Yes, percentage. Yes, I do know what you mean. You know, and the and the players and coaches are the ones that really are putting these players in the Pro Bowl. Um, it, what I mean by a popularity, it is a popularity contest amongst the players and coaches. It's just, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just what it is. But you know, from the punting position, it was always very difficult uh, being a specialist because they only take one. And that makes it more difficult when you think about there's 32 guys or 16 in each conference um, that you got to be one of those 16 guys to go, and that makes it very difficult year in and year out. And what it always came down to in my position was the net average, and so that was something that the, the certainly the coaches looked at. And the players soon realize that the net punting average is kind of what it means because you know not only are you, you're not kicking it down the field as far as you can and having them return 30 yards, you're being a team player and you're you're effectively doing what you're supposed to do. So, um, I was able to do that twice in my career. And you mentioned about the family going to to Florida. I feel really bad for those guys that worked their butts off to make the Pro Bowl and had to go to Miami, Florida. <laughs> I mean, that stinks, Paul, because going to, to Hawaii is the best. All expense paid, they roll out the red carpet, they actually end up renting out the whole Ihalani Hotel, which is right on the water. It is just to die for, and uh, it's fun. You're there for a week, and all I could think about was the game. And all the golf and the drinking and eating and all the stuff you get to do while you're there. And it's all on National Football League. So a lot of guys really try to try to make that team because of it.
2: All right. Now, you made the Pro Bowl when you were 29 with the Cardinals and then at the age of 42 with the mm-hmm. Giants. Yeah. Just the selection itself, never mind the accoutrements of the trip, mm-hmm. but the selection itself. Mm-hmm. How much more did it mean, or did it mean something different to you? Is a better question. Sure. When
3: you were 29, as compared to 42. That's a great question. Now, so when I was 29, um, I was with the Cardinals, and you know that was my third team at the time, and so I was working so hard towards that goal. I wanted that Pro Bowl so bad, and I was getting so close because at that point in my career, um, I started in 1988, and that was in 2000. Or excuse me, in 1996. So do the math. It took me a little while to get there, but that was the that was kind of the ascension for me. I, I knew that I could do it, and I had to do it. And I won't get into the story because it'll take forever. But I almost quit football that season. I really did, and it's a, a story that I should tell you one day. But the fact is that I made it that that season. Even meant it more for me. So, um, and then the one the latter of the two um, was more of. I had a goal in mind that I had never been able to achieve after 20 years in the National Football League, and that was to get a 40-yard net average. And at the time, Paul, I think we've had this discussion going into that season, there had only been done twice right. in the history. Uh, now it's done seven, eight, nine, ten times uh, a year. You know, there's punters that are that good now. But that was my goal. And um, going into the one of the few – the last games of the season was – um well when they were doing the pro bowl voting I think it was the third to last game of the year whatever it was but um we were going to Minnesota and you know what's in Minnesota mm-hmm. it's in, it's indoors mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh I was I was on I was over 40 yards and I knew have coming out of that game that I had to keep it and uh, I had the game of my life, boy, and Tom Quinn will always he can tell you this story he he knew that i was I was kicking away from every guy um, I was on the left hash going to the right hash, which I never did, and he was just laughing he's like cause he, we, he knew what I was trying to do. I was trying to get that net average even higher so that I can make that pro Bowl and I did. And so it meant a lot to me for two reasons, Paul. That you asked the question. The first one was more I had to, I knew I could do it, and when I did it, was great. But the last one was not only because of the age, but because I got to achieve a goal of mine, which I achieved most of all of them, um, except for the Super Bowl. You know, so I mean, excuse me, the Super Bowl was a year before that, right? And so. I was I was at the end of my career with almost everything done that I wanted to do in my career, except for that 40 yard average at the end of the season, and that was what was so special to me. And by the way, that was the year that the two old guys made the Pro Bowl. You and John Carney. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like we were the Jarrettall brothers. I swear. We, well, Did you know, they we give
2: you like leather helmets to take? We had no Joe. So, so
3: John and I brought those with us. Okay. Yeah, it was his idea, and we had them uh, painted up, and we brought them out to practice that day, and everybody got a hoot out of that. So <laughs> it, Love was it. Great yeah, it was fun. Great story. Thank you
2: uh, we go to Rob Giants at NY Football Jesus. Now he's got a couple, but I think the best one here that I'm going to go to mm-hmm. he says he was watching the week two matchup of the 2009 season between the Giants and the Cowboys okay. and he says who are some of the players of that generation who you wished were able to see their full potential and he's mentioning here Kenny Phillips had p- uh, pick in the back of uh, yeah. uh, 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 off the back of Jason Witten's foot. So I guess it was a deflection a deflected yeah. interception. I remember yeah. it now that we're talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. And he says another one of my guys who I feel the same about is Terrell Thomas, two guys who were just tremendous skill sets, had yeah. all the potential in the world to be perennial Pro Bowl players, and knee injuries just yep. really ruined it.
3: Well, unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, there's so many players like that across the league that you just have so much promise. Remember the Giants had Steve Smith at wide receiver? Sure, another knee problem. Another um, another guy, totally. I mean, he was a Pro Bowl player, had a had 100 yeah. catches one year. I mean, hey, let's even go even a little bit further. The Giants' number one draft pick in David Wilson. I mean, come on. I mean, Neck injury. Uh, so, you know, that's typically what happens. Um, you know, when you see a guy come out of college and he's, has, shows a lot of promise and you can see that he's going to be a good one. Well, he's probably going to be a good one if he doesn't get hurt. And that's just uh, what happens in this league. The guy's just unfortunately in the knees, depending on the position. I feel like, uh, offensive linemen can kind of get over knee problems a little bit better because they're just not out there running all the time and planting and things like that but you know you look at defensive backs and linebackers and receivers those guys man knee injuries just can decimate somebody's career when you get those
2: all right let's go to another tweet here we've got uh, one from john lyons he talks about uh, the Entrell roll interview that's currently up on the giants huddle where roll just marvels at the grit eli manning showed in the san francisco playoff game heck yeah and he says It's so true, Antrell. Unbelievable toughness to stand up to that high-end punishment. Many of whom we consider great have wilted under such duress, but not Eli. Now, we talked about that game Mm -hmm. during yesterday's program, but Jeff, you know, you played two dozen years in this league. Is there anybody else that you could think of at the quarterback position that you either saw while you were playing or maybe was a teammate of yours mm-hmm. who who was even close to taking the kind of pounding Eli took that day and was able to continue to get back up?
3: Uh, yeah, um, and you know who he is. Um, Jim McMahon. Uh, I mean, you talk about a guy that would just get annihilated. I mean, and what a tough dude. Um, crazy guy. See, I, I thought mean, you were going to say Ron
2: Jaworski when you were with Philadelphia.
3: Well, I didn't play. Ron uh, Jaworski wasn't there when I was there. Okay, um, that's the true. Cor- you were the there court- later on when yeah, uh, Cunningham and
2: McNabb. Well, Cunningham was there?
3: No, no, Cunningham was there. McNabb came after. Okay. We had a slew of quarterbacks in there when, um, see, what happened was Randall was the guy. And then we went up to to Green Bay. First game of the regular season, and Randall got blew out his knee. And so uh, McMahon was the backup. He ended up starting that year, and we had a bunch of – a slew of quarterbacks for the next year or two okay. just come through there and it was right. a turnstile. Um, but Jim McMahon was uh, a teammate of mine in Philadelphia, and he's also a teammate of mine in Arizona. But, you know, he was on the back end of his career. But when you look at what he did when he was with the Bears, and he was a tough guy, man. He was. I mean, really, really tough dude. Um, but nobody – nobody like Eli Manning. I mean, I know this for a fact because I was a teammate of his for a long time, um, and my locker was next to him. So we've had many, many conversations, and I've seen many days him coming out of the training room um, where nobody knew what was wrong with him outside the building. And there was times where this guy just, he never said a word about anything, but we all knew he was hurt and went through many seasons, as you found out, with injuries that were not, Public, mm-hmm. that then, or things that were bothering him, that he poo-pooed them, but they were a lot worse than they were. Sure, and I think that you know, just goes to show you how tough he was. And a guy like uh, Terrell, who can understand that being a defensive player and how he likes to lick guys like that, you know, <laughs> he can, well, can understand. And oh, by th- the
2: way, should we add Andrew Roll played with a bunch of injuries too. show sure, another tough guy,
3: absolutely. Tough guy. And that, and that's he why he's tough. That's why he marvels at the, at, at Eli Manning and how tough he was because as a defensive player, you know what you would love to do to a quarterback is get a lick on the quarterback and, and how to hit him. And when he saw other guys doing that to Eli and Eli getting up, he had to have. He has a lot of respect for that. But that that San Francisco game, I will never forget the time he he threw that pass and got drilled to the ground when, then that grass was in his face mask. We sure. mentioned this yesterday. It was just like, and he just kept getting up and he kept getting up and uh, and again, you know, he marshes them down the field and. That eleven season for Eli, after going back, like I told you, and looking at it, what a what a great season! And uh, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about that that Super Bowl team this year and their anniversary in that season, especially the way that Eli's coming back and what a reunion tour for this guy this year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is hitting the trifecta. He's get, <laughs> he's getting his uh, jersey retired, he's in the Ring of Honor, and he's at a ten year uh, reunion for the Super Bowl. So, what a great great opportunity for him.
2: I just want to know when you're going to be invited up to his office. I'm <laughs> sorry.
3: <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I know, well, we've all been up to the, I don't know if you've been upstairs, but there's an office for him. It's just, it's kind of funny. How long, how often will he be in that office? And knowing Eli, there will be nothing in the office. You know, he's not going to put anything in there to to show off because that's just not what he does. Only you know?
2: a picture of his family, perhaps. That,
3: there'll be some other thing. You know, O'Hara will probably have a picture in there too because they're buddies, you know, and uh, O'Hara will put a picture in there to make sure that he has one on his desk or something. But
2: I just wonder if O'Hara may sneak up there and prank that's what I wonder. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all.
3: <laughs> no, all <right. laughs> but the first thing is we got to get back in the building to do that. that so as soon trick. as that happens, then oh, we'll be – Yeah,
2: please, let's get that day sooner rather than later. <laughs> we have Rick Williams uh, who tweets to us. Uh, he says, and I, could, I don't know where he got this from, the, I heard the Giants are linked to linebacker K.J. Wright, free agent from Seattle, Is there any truth to that, and what does he bring to our defense? Well, first of all, Rick, uh, there's no evidence that the Giants are shopping for K.J. Wright whatsoever, not that I know of. And quite honestly, I think Jeff will agree with me here, right now the Giants have so many numbers at linebacker, uh, and they also don't necessarily have a ton of cap room to spend on a veteran that I don't know how that would make
3: sense. Yeah, no, and we've talked about this. I think all teams at this point, um, are the only free agency additions that you're going to see at this point in time is going to be once, um, once the season starts, as far as training camp goes, and there's injuries. Then you got a little bit of depth problems and you got things like that. That's when you see these veterans that are sitting on the street that are, you know, staying in shape and waiting. Most of them want to wait, Paul, as you know, they want to wait until training camp is over. <laughs> you know, the sure. last thing they want to do is, is, although, but some of them do want a job, but, That's where I think that most teams would replace guys um, or bring in these veteran free agents that are on the market right now because, number one, they don't want to pay them because a lot of these teams, their caps are set, they're ready to go, they've got their draft picks signed, and um, they're ready to move into the 2021 season. And I think that if the Giants are going to get another linebacker somewhere, they're not happy with their depth that they have or somebody got hurt. And um, certainly that's the case with every position, not just a linebacker.
2: No, I, I think, you know, where the Giants are now is pretty much what they're going to have going
3: into yeah. training camp. This is You run what you brung right here. Exactly. You know, this there is may it. be
2: some tweaks later on. There always and, is. You know, right.
3: Well, because, you know, you know, we see this all the time, Paul. Um, we'll be looking out on the field on a training camp morning or afternoon or something, and we'll be doing as we always do. I don't do it as much as you do and the other press guys, but they're always taking the numbers game, right? Where's number 42? Uh, 42. Where? 42 is not on the field because they go. You know, you know how you do it. You go through the numbers. Where's 42? Well, and I'm just using this as an, an example. What happened to 42? Well, we find out later that they cut him. And right. uh, and then you're like, okay, now now the the secrets are. Where did it happen? Where did he go? What happened? Well, they stand up. Who's coming in? Who's coming in? That's the thing. <laughs> and so now it's not, it's 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 almost like okay, he's gone. We don't care anymore about that. But who's coming in? Who's who do they got? Mm-hmm. And 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 the what happens is you know this is that. And the coaches will tell every every person on that roster that you are competing with the other 31 teams, the the guys on those other rosters. So if you're not only competing on the field here in a Giants uniform, you're competing with the other guys that are out there. So if the scouting department and the general manager are getting calls from this and that, and they realize that this other team is going to cut somebody and it goes through the waiver system, They're going to try to upgrade the position, whether you're a second-teamer, a third-teamer, a fourth-teamer. If there's somebody out on the street that's better than you, the team is going to go find them and bring them in, and you're gone. And that's the scary part about what you're doing, folks. And that goes to show you how difficult it is to stay in this league because you're always competing against everyone else. There's 1,700 or something players in the league that are on rosters on opening day, but think about all the other players that you're competing against in the summer. There's a lot of them. There's a, what is it now? Although they went to that stupid rule, which I have no idea why they're doing that from 90 to 85 to whatever, you know, it just makes no sense to me. I mean, seriously, Paul, from 90 to 85, I mean, what are you, in a blink of an eye, you're going to get rid of five people?
2: I'm (laughs) not sure I understand why they did that
3: either. But uh, my point is, is that you, you are constantly competing with other people and, um, you gotta you gotta you gotta compete, man. Every day's a grind. And that's what these coaches will tell you that you know, and a lot of times, Paul, players do not have the ability to to focus for that amount of time, and that's what's the mental part of this game and the grueling. Now the training camps these days are not they're nothing like they used to be. You know that. And can you know, back in the day with two a days for a month uh, I mean, it was a mental grind, not to mention physical grind. And some guys just can't take it. I mean, I can't tell you. You've been around this game a long time like I have, and there's been players that, were 42? Well, 42 quit today. He didn't want to happen. be on the team. Oh, yeah. People need to understand that. It does happen. They just don't. They, they realize, okay, I, I'm I'm buried on the depth chart. I'm tired as heck. My feet are killing me. There's no way I'm going to make this team. What in the world am I doing here? They call their girlfriend. They call their family. They call their wife. They say, you know what? I'm coming home. And it's, uh, it's, 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 that's when that person's dream dies that day. And it's very sad. But, it, folks, it is hard to make a National Football League roster. I don't care how good or bad you are in, in college. You, you, when You're going to come and compete at this level. Good luck. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, and especially some of the positions that don't carry the numbers—defensive backs, you know—you got linebackers, defensive line, offensive linemen. You know, nine guys there, ten guys sometimes. But the positions that there's only five, the positions that there's only maybe three, like tight end. And how about the position that there's only one at the specialist—snapper, mm-hmm. hole, or snapper, kicker, punter. So the numbers dwindle as you get to those positions. So it's just goes to show you how difficult it is to make the team and and to sustain and to keep going.
2: Now, for those of you who did not know what Jeff was talking about when he mentioned the new roster cuts, the first cuts are on August 17th, where your roster goes from 90 to 85 this year. Okay, then you've got a preseason game. That would be your second preseason game in the Giants case. That's the 22nd against Cleveland. On August 24th, the roster goes from 85 to 80. Okay, Mm -hmm. then on uh, the uh, the following few days, you've got your third and final preseason game. The Giants on the 29th will take on the Patriots in preseason game number three. That's on August 29th. The final roster cuts come on August 31st, which takes you all the way down from 80 to 53. Yeah, that's the new schedule of roster slices that the NFL will implement. For the 2021 season, we finish off, Jeff, with a piece of news that came out yesterday. Tom Pellicero, again of NFL Network, uh, told uh, the world, as I guess he was uh, privy to information from the NFL, that players this year have until 4 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, July 22nd, to inform teams if they plan to opt out of the 2021 season. Now, this is still part of the whole COVID protocol. You know, last year we had a lot of players opt out in 2020 across the league. Mm -hmm. Well, they're also offering opt outs again this season because of COVID. It says here players who are deemed high risk for COVID are entitled to a $350,000 stipend for the season, which is what they also were able to receive last year. Those people are only high risk players. Voluntary opt outs are... Are not going to get the stipend that they got last year in the first year of the protocol when they were able to receive 150,000 as a uh, as a token uh, if it were if they were a voluntary COVID opt out. So again, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, according to Tom Palosero, once again, he says only players who have executed their contracts prior to October 31st of last year are eligible to take. The voluntary opt out, which means that this year's rookies are ineligible Mm -hmm. to take the opt out unless unless you're you're a high risk. He's a high risk. Yeah, that's correct. and,
3: And I don't know what the you know, there's there's obviously some guidelines there. Um, prior, you know, medical history, medical stuff, which we
2: will not get into. Yeah. But the point is, I want people to understand that if you suddenly hear of a player opting out on whatever team it is around the league, Mm -hmm. you, you will now at least be aware that that option and possibility does exist. Even though society seems to be crawling
3: back to normalcy, we still have that specter of the protocols hanging over us. Yeah. Well, and some guys, I don't think it'll be very high. There may be a few, um, but those are extenuating circumstances. So, you know, you have to understand that there's a severe risk of somebody. And I I don't know how many of those are. But, uh, you know, to me, I I feel like, you know, league wide, I think that the the bigger issue with the COVID thing is getting everybody about the vaccinations. And um, I think that's kind of a a bit of a, a hill climber there. Rather than the opt-outs, I think you'll you'll understand the person that is eligible to opt out and does, um, with a medical history, you'll kind of you'll figure it out. And there's not going to be very many of them. But I feel the bigger issue, league-wide, is the vaccinations and how many teams are going to get to that level, whatever percentage it is that you can open up everything. But as you know, Paul, they've talked about how stringent it's going to be if you do not get vaccinated. Um, you know, you're going to have to go through still most of the protocols that you did last year. Almost all of them. They're and very it, tight, Jeff. They're unbelievable. I was reading through them like, you know, the lunchroom, you're, you're going to be on the grab and go again. You know, uh, you got to have your mask on and you're getting tested every day and, you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and we're not here to judge anybody, Um, but that's your prerogative, what you want to do. And um, it's up to that player. And hopefully most of them will get vaccinated so that they can. They can be, they can come to the facility and I wouldn't say act, but I would say just go through normality, which by the way, once we get there will be beautiful because we know that things are starting to open up big time in the world today. So I think that you and I both hope that happens soon with us because Mm -hmm. we've been kind of, we've been put out there and we haven't been able to actually, I know Paul, you've been around a little bit longer than I have, but the first time I was back at the facility was at the mini camp for that one practice. And that was the first time I was back there since August. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I understand. You know? Hey, I tell you something, Jeff. It's been fun going through this hour with you and we certainly do appreciate Christian Garrick, the Saints pre and post game host on WWL radio for joining us as well. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Folks, thanks for listening to today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and giants.com slash podcasts. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Paul Titino. We'll talk to you next time.